Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Good morning and welcome Journey Church. And here on July 2nd, so many first and second and third time guests. Journey Church, make sure you uh, meet them after the service. God is growing our church even in the summer doldrums. That's not normal, but it is exciting. So this morning, uh, we are back in our study of the book of Joshua. And so if you have your Bibles, you can begin to move toward Joshua chapter 14. Now, many of you have likely heard about the famous advertisement that Ernest Shackleton placed in a London newspaper to recruit men for his endurance expedition to Antarctica. It said something like this, men wanted for hazardous journey, Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in event, in, in event of success. And as the story goes, literally hundreds of young men signed up for a spot on this expedition. Now, the ad- advertisement is likely apocryphal, meaning it didn't actually happen People have searched for that and have not been able to see the original source. However, it illustrates a universal principle. Most of us respond positively to challenge in our youth. When we are young, we are risk tolerant. We feel invincible. Time is on our side, and even if we lose everything... We feel as if we can make it all up in the second half. But what happens in the second half? We become risk averse. It happens everywhere. Have you experienced this? A cooling of ambition, a growing sense of caution, a concern about the future. Will there be enough? Time to slow down. Rest a little more. Take it easy. Be careful. And while I'm telling you, there may be an appropriate application for this phenomenon. What happens when this attitude invades our spiritual walk with God? I'm currently in my mid-50s. Complacency nips at my heels every day. How about you? I have the sense of a gravitational pull toward the path of least resistance. I am tempted to act my age. Yeah, the playwright, Gertrude Nelson Andrews, said it this way. There's no reason why a person shouldn't be young at 80. But there are a whole lot of people who die at 50, but aren't buried until they are 80. I met a 40-year-old in my office. I was doing a funeral for his mother, and he didn't have any apparent physical malady. But he was convinced he had to retire. He worked in a warehouse, said it was impossible to finish his job. Age 40. He was a hot mess and convinced in his mind he was done. He was helpless. 
One of the antidotes to, to such an attitude for the spirit is having mothers and fathers, bosses and leaders, pastors and mentors who are men and women of great faith and obedience. Men and women who keep stepping up in season after season of life, up and into greater and new challenges throughout the journey. I know a man of God who was an elder here at our church at age 70. At his birthday party, he climbed a two-story pole to prove to himself that he was still strong, that he could still accomplish, to stretch, to reach, to make sure that he was ready for what the next 10 to 20 years would bring his way. He climbed the pole. See, these kinds of older people that keep stepping up and they keep taking on new and bigger challenges, they not only inspire us, they show us the life of faith and how to grow old gracefully in the Lord. We must not only find these role models, but men and women, we must become these role models. A new generation is looking to us. And so instead of being those kids that come back from camp berserk with a camp high and then cool throughout their life, we must be the people that go in the other direction. That our passion and our vigor and our faith grows exponentially even as the cares and concerns of this world and life beat us down that we are growing ever more faithful and obedient in Christ. We've been in Joshua for several weeks and thus far we've done a deep dive through chapters 1 through 10. Joshua, sandwiched between the Exodus and the time of the Judges, it's an account of the conquest of the land of Canaan. This morning we're going to summarize chapters 10 through 13 but drill down on chapter 14. For several reasons that I'll ask me personally why the fast forward, I'll give you a reason. But basically Joshua 10, 29 through chapter 12, 24 is a summary of Israel's conquest of the southern and then the northern cities. The author not only summarizes the scope of Israel's triumphs in Canaan with great geographical details. I mean it reads like uh, title deeds because in essence that's what these are, much of the book of Joshua are boundaries and landmarks and entitled deeds to the various tribes. Joshua 13 contains a list of lands yet to be fully conquered, as well as an explana explanation of the land allotted by Moses to three and a half or two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, the tribes being uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Suffice it to say this, by the end of chapter 13, we have the end of the conquest, the formal end to Joshua's conquest. Even though the land was not fully conquered, we discover that seven years has gone by from chapter 1 to chapter 13. Yeah, we read it and it's just like, oh, this happened in a couple weeks. Seven years of hard campaign. Joshua had successfully neutralized the major military threats that threatened 
the lives of Israel. It would now be up to each tribe to conquer, claim, and settle their allotted lands. And it was time for Joshua the warrior to become Joshua the administrator. That's what we see in this section of Joshua. It was, it was time to assign the lands to the tribes. So we pick it up in Joshua chapter 14, which again is a really nice summary of chapters 11 through 13. This is what it says. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, meaning they're, they're rolling the dice or something of the like. Just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan. But to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. So hit pause for a moment and just want to point this out. The Levites did not receive any formal land inheritance. Why is that? Well, they were to be the spiritual teachers of the other tribes. And for that reason, they needed to be dispersed throughout all of the land. So they were given instead cities. Their inheritance was also a portion of the sacrifices offered to Yahweh God. But then very clearly in Deuteronomy, it says that their inheritance would be the Lord himself. What would you rather have? Something far greater than any plot of land. So that's why the Levites, several times it's mentioned, uh, Joshua did not give them an inheritance. So pick it up in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in my heart, I believed it with all of my being, what I came back with. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses went up on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you, Caleb, and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, says Caleb, just as he said these 45 years since that time, the time that the Lord spoke this to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord is with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. 
So hit pause again. We'll finish in a moment the rest of the text. But the time for casting lots to give out the land to the remaining nine and a half tribes has come. But before Joshua and Caleb, or, or uh, the, the priest, um, what's his name again, Jephna, uh, Eliezer, before they can throw the dice, uh, after the tribe of Judah is chosen, before they can roll the dice to see what plot of land they will inherit, Caleb steps in and say, ho, ho, not so fast. I have a prior claim. He steps in to remind Joshua and Eleazar that he has a prior claim. And this 85-year-old man named Caleb, his name means dog. I can think of maybe three reasons, but those aren't important to our talk today. But according to Numbers 34, Caleb the dog is now the chief. He is the head of the tribe of Judah. And as chief, he steps in and stops the process to claim his portion of the land. He's been waiting 45 years for this moment, chomping at the bit to go and take possession of this land, to fight this battle. For 45 years, he's been on pause. 85 years old, and he says, I couldn't do it then. Can I do it now? We see him at age 40. And I want to take you back, because this is important to understand. Age 40 was the, the age that the Jewish men were considered to be adults, but barely. Barely, age 40. So as a brand new man of the tribe... He's one of the two spies. We read about this in Numbers chapter 13. And you see the comparison between Caleb and Joshua and the other ten spies. This is really important. To see his faith in action as a young man before we see him at 85 years old as an old man, we read this, that they told him that the ten spies returned from spying out this plot of land that Caleb lays claim to. They return, and the ten, not Joshua and Caleb, but the ten others speak to Moses and the people first. Numbers 13, 27 through 28, they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. Yes, it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They're showing them a cluster of grapes that are so large that it takes two people to hold them. It's an enormously fruitful land, however... This is what they say, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And we go, who are they? Why is that such a big deal? The descendants of Anak, why, why are they so terrifying? We discover in a, a few verses later in chapter 13 this. The men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. These sons of Anak are much stronger. It's impossible. And I want you to think about this. These are individuals who experienced and witnessed the miracles of God in Egypt. Ten plagues and the deliverance 
through the Red Sea and the destruction of literally hundreds or even thousands of Egyptian warriors. And yet something about these sons of Anak are so much greater, so much more terrifying. They cannot imagine that even with God on our side, that they could actually conquer this piece of real estate. They go on to say, they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people they saw, we, that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim. And in parentheses, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. The Nephilim, the sons of Anak, a people so great and terrifying that they say, no, even the God of Israel that delivered us through the Red Sea and through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, no way did you see those guys. There's no way we can fathom. They bring them a bad report. So who in the world are these Nephilim, these sons of Anak? Well, we read about this in Genesis chapter 6, and it says there, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. The sons of God, who are they? They see that the daughters of mankind are attractive. They took them as their wives as they chose. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. So pre-flood and post-flood, there are Nephilim. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, Tyler did a great piece on, on uh, modernism and secularism. And for that reason, we have theological opinions on who the Nephilim might have been. They're just a little bit bigger than others. Some think that they're the sons of Seth are these godly men, and they shouldn't have been uh, you know, taking wives from the, the daughters of Cain. Some of these kinds of theories are very secular and modern because we can't imagine what virtually 100% of the ancient Jews believed. What did they believe? They believed, according to God's word, that Elohim, small e, sons of God, angelic beings, created Members of God's divine council rebelled against God and mated with human women. It's all over ancient Jewish mythology. And it's here actually in God's word. They thought that these were half Elohim, half human hybrid demigods. And furthermore, we have... Um, cultures around the world that have this in their mythology. The ancient Jews believed this. First century Jews believed this. Joshua and Caleb believed this, for they saw them with their own eyes. Genesis chapter 6 verse 4 says that the Nephilim were on the earth before the flood, and quote, and also afterward. We don't know exactly how, but these oversized de de descendants of Anak that came from the Nephilim were terrifying. So terrifying 
that the entire nation said, no way, we've seen miracles, but this is crazy. And for that reason, for that reason, they turned away from Yahweh and were forced to wander for 38 more years in the wilderness. But look at the report of Caleb in the same context. At age 40, he saw the sons of Anak as well. These monsters that looked undefeatable. Numbers 13.30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. That's Caleb at 40. And I want you to see, he did not minimize the risks. Fortified cities and terrifying, scary monster people but he magnified God in his mind God was greater than the greatest challenge not so the other spies they magnified the problems and thereby minimized the power of God this greatly dishonors the Lord and we continue to do the same thing Because of this, we get a picture of the heart of God and his frustration. He showed them miracle after miracle. He promised them based on his own character and reliability, and yet they said, we can't do that. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 35 through 36, God said, Not one of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give you your fathers, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children. I will give the land on which he has trodden because he has wholly followed the Lord. This phrase, he wholly followed the Lord, shows up not once or twice, but six times in Numbers, Deuteronomy, and three times more in Joshua chapter 14. And 45 years later, at age 85, not only did he follow the Lord wholeheartedly, he is still following the Lord wholeheartedly. And look at the reward and the outcome from, from a lifetime of trusting in the Lord with all his heart, despite overwhelming challenges, despite overwhelming odds, just despite looking at things and saying, that's impossible. And yet he said, but we can do it because God is with us. Nothing's too hard for God. It says, back to Joshua 14, ending the chapter, starting in verse 13, then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron, Hebron has become the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because, and this is the final time we see this phrase, number six, he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And then this final editorial statement, now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Why? Arba was the greatest man among the Anakin. He's an offspring of Nephilim. So it was named for him. And then watch this, in the land had rest from war. A little bit of a fast forward, the battle's not over yet, but it's a fast forward. God is going to do what he said in, through, and for this man of faith 
and obedience. And that is the heart of this text today. God's good pleasure, God's blessing, and the kind of character that is formed over time in a man or a woman of God of faith and obedience. This brings us to our bottom line this morning. If you want to fill in the blanks, faith and obedience delight the heart of God. Delight the heart of the Lord. We could, that, that'd be enough, right? You, you can't skip over to the second part without just saying that. It just, it's the right thing to do. Our creator is so honored when his children come to him, ask him for things, and then just rest in his faithfulness. He is so delighted. Faith from his children so pleases the Lord. That's why he gives us tests, gives us challenges. He wants to know what's in our hearts. What kind of spirit are we of? Are we the kind of people that are going to say, Oh, Papa, I might not even get it in my, day, in my lifetime or in the next season, but I trust you. You're a good father. And that so blesses his heart. But for those children that goes, mm -mm, no, bad, bad, very bad, scary, uh, uh, so dishonors the father's heart. Yes, the challenges are hard. Yes, the stories are scary. Yes, there are, are, are difficulties, and we're all in this, in this creation that groans. All of us have to suffer and endure difficult things, and it doesn't always at all points of the journey, feel like the end of a fairy tale where everyone lived happily ever after. But I'm going to tell you, that is the end of the story. It always feels like failure in the middle. But he's looking for people who will trust him. Faith and obedience delight the Lord. Here's the second part of the bottom line. And yield a lifetime of vigor and hopeful expectation. I could have put so many more words in there. I had to think and think and refine and what, what am I going to say? Vigor and hopeful expectation, that's obedience from the heart and faith that is unshakable. This is what comes as a reward, as a blessing to those that will trust God in the midst of adversity, in challenges that seem too overwhelming and too great to overcome. This faith and obedience delight the Lord and yield a lifetime of vigor and hopeful expectation. God delights in those who are confident in his character. Despite what we can see, they are confident in the character of God and obedient to his will. Even when it doesn't feel like obedience is going to help anything. Maybe it even makes things worse in the short run. But God delights in this. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's impossible. Well, when we trust our good and loving Heavenly Father, despite what we can see, oh, he is so delighted and he is so pleased. What about the vigor? What about the, uh, the hopeful expectation, the growing faith instead of cynicism? My life has been hard. I tried to honor God. It just got worse. I think I'll die. That cynical spirit 
instead of, I don't know the end, but I just know God is good, and it's an exciting journey. How does that work? Look at Caleb. He's got so much enthusiasm, so much energy, so much vigor. I want to just put a note here. I know our bodies really do break down. We really do get cancer. We really do get West Nile virus that, that wreaks havoc on us. We really, we do have uh, long, long haulers, COVID long haulers. I know those people. We really do lose physical strength, but I'm talking about a spiritual energy and vigor. That despite a body that's breaking down, our love for God, our trust in God, our obedience in God is loaded with enthusiasm. And how do I know this? It's all over the Bible. Listen to Psalm 92. The righteous flourish and grow like a palm tree, like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. And they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Amen? And then you saw our scripture reading. Um, No, it was our call to worship. And I'm going to actually finish with a few more verses. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacha, which is an interesting word, that means the valley of sorrow and bitterness. Even when they go through the, sor- the valley of sorrow and bitterness, it says that they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from weakness to weakness. That's not what it says. They go from strength to strength. They're struggling in between, but it's really... The mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop is the perspective of God and the perspective of the people of faith. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Jump ahead a couple verses. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts, that's about faith, that's about obedience, that's about a heart that believes that Papa is a good God. And they flourish and are evergreen and full of sap. They go from strength to strength, just as we see in Caleb. Faith and obedience delight the Lord and yield a lifetime of vigor and hopeful expectation. Now I'd like to point out two more things in the text before we share in communion together. And the first thing is this. I want you to see faith and obedience know neither ethnicity nor age. I think it's abundantly clear already that we see this guy Caleb at age 40 and then age 85. And all throughout, he is fully, wholly following the Lord. And the idea, age is not a factor. Don't use age of going, oh, I'm too old. I couldn't have that kind of faith. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Going out in faith on the mission field or church planting or, uh, I mean, come on. We're just now getting steady. It's not time now. It's time to kind of reap the reward. No, that's, that's playing it safe. And we see Caleb at age 40 and 85, and he still has not fought the Anakim. But he is wholly following the Lord, and it's not a product of age. It's a matter of the heart. 
the quality of the soul, the kind of person. And we see that throughout the scripture. Samuel, Josiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Timothy, they were all young men. And then we see these old men, Methuselah, Abraham, Simeon, John. They're all very old and still following and serving the Lord. So age is no factor. Neither is ethnicity. Where do we get this in the text? This is fascinating, y'all. Fascinating. Ready for this? Caleb is introduced in the passage as the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite. What are the Kenizzites? According to Genesis 15, the Kenizzites were a Canaanite tribe destined for destruction in their land promised to Abraham. Genesis 15, 17 through 21, to your offspring I will give this land from the river of Euphrates to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, and then a whole bunch of others. The Kenizzites, like Rahab, like the Gibeonites, are slotted for destruction. And here is now a Kenizzite, Caleb, who is the chief of the tribe of Judah. It's not about ethnicity. We can speculate, perhaps some, sometime during or before the Exodus, a few of the Kenesites jump sides. We see this throughout the Old Testament. It's not about being ethnically Jewish that matters. There's always two Israels. There's the, the ethnic Israel and there's the spiritual Israel. And there are those that are outside the ethnicity of Israel that are jumping ship and jumping into the true Israel. And there are many ethnic Israel that never jump into the true Israel. So somewhere in the Exodus or before, some Kenites, Kenizzites jump ship, and here he is. And in charge of this tribe. I could go on, 1,500 years later, there is a Syrophoenician woman spoken of in Matthew and Luke's gospel. She is a Canaanite as well, and she comes to Jesus for help. And Jesus gives her this very interesting response. It's not right to give the children's bread to the little dogs. And you go, oh my goodness, that is so rude, Jesus. You just called her a little dog. He's talking about Canaanites. They were meant to be destroyed. The woman says, yes, Jesus, but even the little dogs come for the scraps that fall from the children's table. And Jesus responds with this, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And this, the idea is this, it's never been about age or ethnicity or gender. It's always been about those who would come to Jesus and say, I believe I need and I trust and I ask and I receive. And that is the gospel. Today, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe Yahweh, his father? Do you believe that God is able? Do you need? Do you need something? Do you need to be forgiven? That is your greatest need, whether you know it or not. To be forgiven of the sins that we've all committed. And to come to Jesus and say, I believe and I receive. That is the gospel. Won't you call on him today. It's always been about faith and obedience. And then the final point is the blessing of faith and obedience 
is courage and impact. Courage and impact. At 85, he should be playing it safe. His kids should be saying, Dad, you're too old. We'll take the hill for you. And he's like, heck no. Where's my sword? The scripture says in Proverbs 28, 21, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. This is the reward of a lifetime of faith and obedience. And for this reason, we see, we see in just jumping a chapter forward, Joshua 15, 14, says, And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, and they name them, Shishai, Ahimam, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. He got the job done with courage. And he had an impact. He made a difference. And guess what? His children and his children's children and fellow members of his tribe were watching his faith. They were inspired by his faith. He passed along a living faith to a new generation. Does this describe your life today, Journey Church members, attenders, guests and visitors? Does this describe your life? Are you a man or woman of faith and obedience? Let me ask you in the quietness as we prepare our hearts for communion, what does faith and obedience mean particularly for you today? Where are you tempted to doubt God's goodness? Where are you tempted to back off and to begin to play it safe as you age? Rather than ramp it up and amp it up. What would it look like for you to take this hill country and drive out the sons of Anak? What is a risk worthy of your faith and obedience. Something that's terrifying that you go, I don't know about that. But it stirs in you every now and again. What is that? Children, I've said that faith and obedience is not a matter of age. And I want you to understand, you are becoming today who you will be at 85. Is that a good trajectory? Are you trusting God and obeying God right where you're at? And then finally, Journey Church, talking to the adults, look around. Our children are here. They're watching. Do we merely want to tell them about yesterday's stories, or do we want to show them our faith? Let's pray. Father, give us the heart of Caleb. Give us your Holy Spirit in such a manner that we become these righteous people of faith and obedience that say, give me this hill country. It may be that God is with us and will deliver this into our hands. Lord, help us to take on new challenges individually as a church body to step up and keep swinging for the fences, to open the throttle. Give us courage, vigor, vitality. 
Help us to please and bless and honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.